G'day there, my name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, I chat with Sam Barker. Sam is the F1 social media manager, a really great guy and a fellow Aussie. We talk about his story of leaving the country and joining this wonderful sport, what it's like to work for the business of Formula One, his favourite piece of content that he's created and so much more. Stick around. Sam, thanks so much for joining us on Lakeside Drive and look, thank you for being such an incredibly important part for the show, for the three of us to to where we're at. Uh, Many people might not know that you and I had a conversation midway through last year that helped us launch into the rebrand and to YouTube and everything else and doing that whilst absolutely crushing it in terms of promoting the sport of Formula One is such a cool thing. Um, So I really appreciate your time. Thank you for that. But what I thought we should do is start back at the very beginning, go back to your beginning, um, and please tell us, what was it like growing up in Australia and specifically around Newcastle? Yeah, wow. It's, uh, first of all, thanks for the the credit, I guess you could say. I feel like you've over-egged how much involvement (laughs) I I had in rebranding everything for you. But uh, yeah, always like, always happy to help, you know, people who... uh, are interested in in this area i try if i get messages from people saying oh how do i get into f1 and that sort of thing through linkedin or whatever it might be i generally try my best to get back to them with some sort of meaningful advice but uh yeah happy i could help in that sense but newcastle yeah it's uh uh it's still a place that i hold super close to my heart all my family and friends are still there uh but yeah like growing up there was was just awesome you know i had um uh, I had, you know, my schools are right around the corner from where I live, made lots of good friends. I was pretty heavily involved in um, a lot of things in the in the community, grew up on the beach in the surf life-saving clubs and, you know, playing sport as well, played a lot of rugby, rugby league as a kid. Um, so I kind of, in a sense, feel like, uh, yeah, my, my roots are very much still there, um, uh, particularly with, yeah, the amount of family and friends that, um, that are still sort of there and living their lives and, and doing different jobs and, and things like that. Um, I'd love to just go, I'd love to move back there one day, but I think the field that I work in, uh, the opportunities, you, you do have to look at least early in your life. You have to look a little bit further afield to sort of extend yourself and get those experiences and um, I guess job opportunities that, that Newcastle at the moment doesn't have, but um I know that there's lots of lots of uh, plans for you know trying to revitalise the town and bringing people back into the CBD and and all that uh, all that kind of thing. But yeah, I uh, I mean during COVID, it's it's a lot. It's it's hard to go back there. You know, you, I'm not going to be able to go back, but it's going to make it very sweet when I actually do do return um, to see everybody and you know just drive five minutes and go to the beach and then come back and you know, be at home. It's uh, something I, I miss a lot, but uh, I'm over here doing a cool thing and I'm enjoying that for what it is too. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I don't think you're alone talking to the other Australians that we've spoken to who are involved in the sport. All of them have said this year as well, geez, I'd like to go home. Like it's great to be involved in this amazing sport, but geez, I miss home, uh, which is a massive plug for Australia. So there you go. F1 is cool, but Australia is better. <laughs> kind of. If there was no COVID, I would have definitely gone 
home more than I have because mm. I haven't been back since the race that, that didn't happen. Uh, but you, you almost miss it more when you can't have it in, in that sense. Uh, so I would have only been back, I don't know, one, two, three more times maybe in, in the last you know, 18 months. But, um, yeah, you, you just – I can't do it and therefore you miss it more. It's a weird – it's a weird kind of uh, kind of feeling, and I think it's also the fact that people can't come over over here as well. Yeah, um, you know, mum and dad, sister, you know, they all planned to come over and do Christmas here last year, and it's the plans like that 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 get scrubbed. And you know, for understandable reason as well, um, we don't want people in Australia getting getting coronavirus and having it spread through. Even though it's kind of looking a bit shaky at the moment, they've done a good job to this point keeping it away and. We don't want to compromise Well, as that, someone so. who is in Sydney, I can empathise with their current situation and I'm sure if they're listening to this podcast, this the, the day that it comes out, which will be in a couple of days' time, uh, everything that's going on up there as well, I'm sure they're on a knife edge. But you're absolutely right. And look, it is, it is what it is, unfortunately. And at some point in the near future, you will be able to easily come back, uh, we hope. Let's just keep everything crossed. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, because uh, obviously you're involved in the world of social media and digital media and marketing, which is, you know, a lot of people I think would claim to be experts in that field. There's certainly a lot of stuff on the internet now about, you know, finding what to do in terms of growing all kinds of followers and engagement and all that sort of other stuff. But was there a specific moment growing up or after you finished school and you were studying that you decided that this is actually the path that you wanted to do or did you kind of just fall into it? Um, I would say I would say probably more of column B, to be honest. I'd say the more fell into it. Um, you, you obviously have a set of, you have a set of interests growing up and things that um, you're, you know, you're, you're interested in learning about more or, uh, you know, mucking around with and toying with and understanding. And for me, um, you know, I was quite interested in technology and all things that were connected to that. Uh, and I was interested in motorsport as well on the side. So I think it was a, it was just sort of a, a, a natural thing, I guess, to sort of work my way into, into doing something where I could marry those two things up. Uh, there, there was no... I wouldn't say there was a silver bullet moment where I went, oh, this is absolutely it. I have to do it. Um, but I think there's just kind of like over time, you just sort of grow an interest in the area um, and then you eventually just sort of, I fell into it to a, to a degree. Um, but yeah, like I've always had an interest in, in motorsport um, and Formula One. And, you know, you do think when you're watching races, remember watching races as a, as a kid, like watching Weber, you know, win win his first race at Nürburgring is a quite vivid memory for me. And you do think at those points in time, oh wow, it would be really cool to do that one day. But it does seem quite far away and hard to do and hard to attain. Um, but yeah, you just kind of, you know, do what you're interested in and uh, and see where it takes you. And yeah, and now I'm sitting here in an office in London, <laughs> and it's all a bit surreal. So. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you mentioned that you always loved motorsport. And, of course, growing up in Newcastle, if you are not from Australia, Newcastle has um, the one of the air bases for the Australian Air Force that has all the fighter jets. So I'm sure you've spent plenty of time looking up at the skies and watching things that were going quite quickly over the top of you. Um, and, of course, 
there is a motorsport culture uh, around Newcastle and, of course, on the eastern coast of this country, which thrives around V8s. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which was, what is what was your big break? You love motorsport. You've loved doing social media stuff and digital marketing. How did you combine that together and what was the moment that made it happen? Um, yeah, I think the, there's been lots of, I, I don't want to call them not big breaks, but there's been lots of, lots of I guess, breakthroughs that have come along the way. Um, like sitting back, sitting here, looking back, probably like pivotal moments. I would say where at the time, you know, they might not seem like such a big deal, but reflecting on it, they really did change the path of what I was going to do and where I was going to go. Um, so if I wind back to, I guess, what the first one was, um, you know, the first time I really got involved in a uh, call it like professional sense with any form of motorsport. Uh, I did work experience for a development series supercars team. This is in like 2007, 2008. Uh, based in based in Newcastle, they were called Prodigy Motorsport. And there was a fellow there named Ross Cadell who took me on as the work experience kid. And it was a little bit of marketing stuff, sponsorship stuff, digital stuff, a, a little bit of everything. Um, so that I guess if you look at the first marker in the sand, that's probably where it all kind of kind of started. Uh, and Ross was a is a I say was he is a very um, cl- like clever thinker and um, very innovative in the way he approaches his work and and that kind of thing. So he kind of gave me a, a bit of a uh, a bit of energy, you could say, to like you know we can do things like this. He started this racing team himself and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'd say that was a, in the early days, that was one that kind of gave me a bit of a, oh, this is a doable thing. Like motorsport is a thing that you can do and, you know, make, um, make work out of. And then I sort of wandered through, um, and ended up, uh, working for Hunter Sports Group, which was the former company that owned the Newcastle Knights and the Jets, the two, uh, or the national soccer team and the national rugby league team. Uh, and that was I guess the first proper like paid experience of um, you know being in a sports business environment, seeing all the different departments interact with each other. Um, how does media content communications work? How's it interface with the marketing activities and sponsorship activities? How do they all merge together? So that was a uh, um, I guess breaking into that job. That's the next sort of milestone, I guess you could say. Uh, and then from there, contacts of of that um, organisation. I did a bit of a uh, bit of work, more work experience, uh, the first time around with V8 supercars. That then led me to another another job where I worked uh, for a company called Brand Events, who were running the Top Gear Festival that um, that you might have seen. That yeah. then led me back to back to uh, back to V8s as a proper paid employee. That then led to Formula One. So, at each of those stages was a uh, yeah was a break a break within itself. And it's hard to pinpoint one of them and say, um, you know, this is the one, that's the one. They're all just very interlinked things that put me put me where I am. Um, and I think like throughout each of them, you know, you kind of have a sense of what you enjoy and what you want to do and um, you, you sort of taper, taper towards it uh, as you move through each of those things. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of the break, the, the breaks we could say. 
in each each of those stages. And I don't think it's I don't think it's it's not done by any sense either. You know, I sit here and um, I love doing what I'm doing now, and I will do that for many years. And I'm sure there'll be something else that you know stage of life as well. So uh, yeah. Lots of little breaks along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the exciting thing potentially is around V8 supercars, right? Because you really helped change how they thought about digital and how they were implementing things because I, that potentially may have been very old school way of thinking. And as, as you said, with looking at how you were working previous to that and even Top Gear Festival, that's all new world thinking was there something that you're super proud of if you look back at your time in v8s that you can put a flag in the ground and say that is something that i didn't change that they might even still be doing today yeah i think there was there was a couple of big projects that we that we worked on um doing the ios and android application was a big deal um effectively in the changeover of some of their broadcast agreements the the ability to run their mobile application had fallen away um, and was meant to be picked up as part of some other deal. Long story short, there was no mobile application, but there was a huge push and appetite from uh, from everybody. The the CEO as well, James Warburton, who now runs Channel Seven. Yeah, I remember them saying, "We we have to have this application." Um, and at the time, I look back on it, and this was five or six years ago, and, and I was super young myself. You know, I'd probably been put into that job maybe slightly, slightly too early, potentially. But uh, it was just one of those sink or swim scenarios where, you know, I just jumped in and sort of threw threw myself at it. Uh, tried to surround myself with with the you know people as, as good as I could and good agencies um, that we worked alongside with and we managed to get that uh, an iOS and Android application built out um, which the, the build of it started in the September and then we, we had it rolled out for Adelaide uh, the following March so it's a six-month build and that was uh, that was a, a huge job and the application still exists today pretty much in its in a very similar guise and at the time uh, that was a big deal because it had features which were quite comparable to uh, what we have here at Formula One, but obviously with you know a tenth of the resource that that is here. So things like live timing, um, you know, push notifications based on which driver you follow, and all of these kind of um, all these things. A lot of uh, interactive uh, interactivity around um, event information. So if you're at an event. You can see where things were on the ground and what your proximity to, I don't know, different parts of the event. So that was uh, that was a real uh, highlight, I guess, of that of that particular job. But there was lots of things as well. We uh, massively dialed up the amount of content that was being produced, like written video, um, probably really sort of developed along how we handle reactive content as well. Uh, the volume of that, trying to get that out, and this is. You know, talking about what is it, five, six years ago now. So this is when things like live clipping were just starting to really hit their straps. Um, well, so kind of in Australia anyway, things are a bit more. They're a little bit further ahead at, at the time in Europe, but um, yeah, really pushing the boundaries uh, on that on that type of thing. There were so many different projects that were happening um, 
I kind of look back on it and it was all a bit of a, uh, not not a blur, but I look back and we, we got through quite a lot of work in, in the five or six years. And I was really proud of that too um, because it was a very small team. Um, budgets were not huge and we just we just made it work. Um, I almost, in a sense, look back on it uh, like an, an apprenticeship in a way, being put into a job maybe a little bit, a little bit too early, the sink or swim feeling, having to understand and learn everything, uh, how all the different parts of the business, the sport, and you know, fit together to, and how do you surface that and present it in a, in a digital sense? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a really rewarding time that I look back on, and I made some good friends out of it too, and still talk to them today. So, oh, great. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, mate. So. You've done that. What was the moment then and potentially got some international attention? Well, you obviously did because you're now working with Formula One, but was there a moment where Formula One as a business went, hey, we really like what this guy has done in terms of changing the shape and the face of what's happened with this category in supercars? Maybe it's it's worth grabbing him in, into our team. Can you talk us through the process of from V8s to F1? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... It was quite an organic conversation that sort of bubbled up and it happened over over a long period of time, um, just like tracing back to how it all kind of came about. I guess I was so focused on my work at Supercars and doing what I was doing there. Uh, we'd had a lot of, by the point I started talking to Formula One, we'd had a lot of big projects that we just got out and we were in the process of, uh, I guess, running them and uh, delivering not delivering against the things that we'd built, um, operating the things we'd built, I should say. And I really got to the point where those projects were largely, I won't say done, but were had been more or less completed. And I wanted to get a bit of insight as to how things were changing at, at FOM under the Liberty ownership, what direction were they taking, just even basic stuff as to, how does um, how does this, how structurally how does the company work, and more with the mindset of what learnings can I take and improve my patch at supercars and yeah. that kind of thing. So I found, and this is going to sound really just a bit blasé, but I found <laughs> the the director of digital at the time or from uh, on LinkedIn, a guy called Frank Arthoffer, and Frank. Uh, American guy, he's like ex-ESPN and Boston Consulting Group and kind of these big, you know, he worked for these American businesses and quite well-experienced um, guy, really nice guy. And just, just straight up messaged him on LinkedIn and said, hey, uh, I just want to have a chat about, you know, what we're both doing. We've got um, we've got similar things that we, that we, we kind of work on. Uh, do you want to have a chat if you don't? I don't mind either. So uh, he got back to me really quick. And then this was the start of 20, 2018. And we just spent, uh, and I can't remember, it was like an hour, an hour and a half on the on the phone, just having a yak about, you know, what what do we, what, what are we doing at supercars? What are we, do, what are we doing at F1? Um, trends and the market, uh, well, sports business, I guess, more, more generally, uh, what was the, the lay of the land at the time? And... Uh, I can't recall too many details in that conversation, but it was effectively like, it's been great to have a chat. Let's just stay in touch. So that was February. Then we get to the Grand Prix in March, which I travelled to the supercars and mm. uh, tried to catch up with him. We just sort of had a bit of that 
you know, missing each other, sliding doors, moment he's here, I'm there, couldn't quite make it work. So we sort of didn't really then stay in touch for too long and almost 12 months went by. We come back around to 2019 and, uh, you know, you reheat the conversation and say, oh, are you here this year? Do you want to have a chat? And uh, and he wasn't coming out, but he put me in touch with uh, a fellow called Sam Tremaine who um, acts as the editor-in-chief of social um, and then I, I sort of reporting to him. And, yeah, I met Sam. And, again, it wasn't a conversation angled around jobs and things like that. It was just a conversation around, you know, how, how, do, you do, how do you do what you do? Um, how does it work? What are the pain points? How do you solve your pain points? Uh, and from there, that was the start of conversations where uh, I guess a role emerged. Um, well, it existed. It didn't emerge for me, but it existed at F1. and. Uh, yeah, we just did, had a few good conversations and enjoyed working with each other. And I think we could see how we could complement each other as well. And uh, yeah, we kind of got to a point where he said, "Do you want to come over and, and do this?" Um, and that so that whole and that was in that was in June, July, so of 2019. So the whole process it was really uh, it was really quite long in the end. Yeah. Uh, to to get here, but um, yeah, no uh, no real looking looking back i mean i look back on the work i've done and everything i've done with with happiness um and and pride as well but uh yeah it, being over here has been an awesome experience um you know in, in so many ways and learning so much um yeah long way to answer your question but uh <laughs> no, that's kind of that's kind of how uh, that's kind of how it came around. And isn't that the so much, well, it's true for so many different things what I'm trying to say in terms of just having a conversation and knowing someone to be able to fill that spot. Now, let's talk about Formula One because obviously that's why we're here. Uh, and it is fairly safe to say that the digital strategy for Formula One has been probably the most solid digital strategy of any sport in the world for the last two years. Um, we often say that, or ask the question, did Formula One exist before Drive to Survive? Um, for you, it didn't, obviously, so starting after the first season. But part of Liberty Media's takeover of Formula One as a sport and understanding that engagement is incredibly important, what, what was it like, I suppose, going from a very focused target audience uh, in Australia and what supercars is, and it is you can pretty much pick who it is, to Formula One, which is an international motorsport across so many different languages with probably bigger budgets, as you probably alluded to, all of these ideas going around and you have to nail down a strategy that is going to be able to work. Uh, and it has worked because it's been incredible growth of Formula One since you've joined. Yeah, I won't say, I would say that um, it's, I guess the first thing to probably call out is that it's very much, a, it's a it's a shared team collaborative approach to to what we do and, um, and setting the direction and the strategy. And I, I hundred percent wouldn't, I would not sit here and say, I, I own this a hundred percent because it's just not true. I don't, it's a group of, it's a group of, um, you know, very clever people, uh, who are passionate about the sport, um, but also passionate about, uh, the, the fan base and I guess the fan perspective of, um, the, the fan perspective of Formula One and want to, uh, and want to cater to cater to them and, and satisfy that. Um, so I won't say I won't say I uh, I own it by by any stretch. Um, 
But I think that at the core of it, like I just alluded to, is uh, is it's got to be for the fans. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be genuine storytelling. Um, you know, it needs to it needs to really um, take into account what everybody is thinking, feeling, saying. Um, what storylines you need to engage um, engage people based on um, based on what's what's going on. It can't be. I mean, social in general, it can't be a, here's, here's the message I want to push. It needs to be, um, it needs to be a reflection of, um, of what is happening on the ground, what is happening in the sport. So um, there are obviously times where, uh, you know, there are messages that we need to communicate and get across. But when we do need to do that, we think about, okay, um, how are we going to present this in a, in a fan-friendly way um, that they can understand and engage with? Um, you know, we want to play along with the fans, play along with with the audience and with our followers, um, rather than speaking at them. So we kind of want to be one of them, I guess. In a in a way, is a way of describing it. Um, but I think, as far as the the growth of what the accounts have achieved over the last couple of years, well, really since since the, the dials got really turned on you have to remember that we're quite late started to social once liberty took over yeah um, but i think we've done we've done really well in catering to our core audience and um and reflecting what happens on the track reflecting what happens on the track very very well through the way that we produce highlights produce clips um produce graphics and other content that gets shared so um we've we do a really good job of surfacing the core stuff that happens on on the race weekend um i think the next kind of place that we need to look is how do we um we we keep investing we need to keep investing in looking after our core audience and you know looking at new format and content for them but also the extension of um how do we bring in the next group of people mm-hmm. who um you know may may not necessarily be invested in um, tire strategies and things like that, but they're invested in um, who the drivers are as personalities. Um, Drive to Survive, a good example, you know, someone who's just watched Drive to Survive, how do we turn them into a person who, you know, has a favourite driver? How do we bring them closer to the um, closer to the, the, the core of the sport, I guess, and deepen their uh, avidity and en- engagement with, um, with it as well? So um, there's lots of different ways that we can do that, but... Uh, yeah, I think if you um, kind of look at where where we've had tremendous success, it's been from doing um, doing the core really well and then extending out off of that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that kind of sums it up. I could talk for more. I wrote a couple of little notes, actually. I could talk for ages on this, but, um, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, look, it's good to, to look after the core audience and, of course, people who listen to this podcast uh, in both camps. There are people who have been followers of the sport for ages and people who have found the sport because of Drive to Survive or they wanted an Australian opinion, whatever it is. It's great, though, that, you know, constantly content coming through your YouTube channel, even podcasts, with, you know, you've got the in-depth interviews and you've got F1 Nation, which is, you know, more of a casual chat. That's all about hitting different people at different levels. So I, I really, as someone as a fan of the sport for a long time and, you know, is looking always at new content, it's cool to watch both sides of it. But what was your favourite piece to date of content that you have created? Oh, I don't know. There's so many. <laughs> there's, 
there's the exact number is going to escape me, but it's upwards of, I think it's upwards of 17,000 pieces a year are published across the different, across the different channels. That's not including .com and .com has thousands of articles as well. Yeah. So uh, if I look back at ones, which I am quite fond of, uh, so have you seen, um, I'm assuming some of the listeners have seen the, the edit of when Max hit the wall in Hungary last year. And then there was a lot of, I'll call it like back of house radio that was married up with the timeline of, of Red Bull fixing Max's car on the grid and then Max driving through that day to finish second. I think that was a really, that was a really enjoyable piece to work on because it kind of wrapped in, it wrapped in a bit of everything that uh, is, is what is so good about Formula One. So um, obviously the story there is it's an amazing piece of um, it's an amazing piece of teamwork. It's an amazing piece of um, I guess uh, I, I don't know operation and procedure playing out in such a high pressure, high high stress moment. So it's a great reflection of the fact that yes, there is one driver in this sport. Um, who's driving the car around, but there's a whole team of people behind who really make, you know, let the driver do their job. And when things go wrong, they are there to, to catch them. And, um, and they're very good at that. So it was amazing. Um, it had an amazing, like natural storyline within itself. And then the, the access that we got to Red Bull's radio from their back of house, that radio um, is typically not something that they would surface. You've only, generally got access to you know in race driver to engineer radio so that's a um another layer of like cooperation from the team so uh to get the trust with the team to handle that sensitive radio and and roll that um and roll that into that video um that that's a, a personally quite rewarding thing to do that and and collaborate with them um and then i think the part which makes it even more special this particular piece of content i'm I'm talking about it too much, but it's no, no, no. just another layer of storytelling that the that the international feed doesn't have the time to really to really surface. Obviously, it's there to tell what's going on, and they do a phenomenal job of showing what's happening on track um, and building tension and suspense around certain moments, like they did on that day. But because so much of the sport, well, there's so many things happening on on track and at, at a particular time. They they can't dedicate obviously ten minutes to you know servicing something like that. So it gave fans a real extra um, a real extra insight on top of what you see on television. And I think that's where we've got a really important role to play. And back to that servicing the core, and you know we do that quite well. Is taking fans beyond what you see in the ninety to one hundred twenty minutes on on television. Um, you know, we're there to extend that and that piece where Max hit the wall that really truly did that because without the work that the team here do, um, producers and editors and, you know, my team as well, that fans wouldn't have seen that. So um, I think that was a personally like quite, quite rewarding bit, but there's been heaps of stuff. I had um, quite a bit to do with weekend Warm Up, which is the Thursday show um, at circuits um, at, at the tracks each time. On YouTube, had quite a bit to do, quite a bit to do with that um, in its initial setup. So to see the popularity of that um, steadily rise has been has been really good. Um, so that's that's personally been quite rewarding. 
jeez, uh, what else? Uh, car, car launches at the start of the year. That's one of my beats as well that I looked after. So, you know, when you're sitting at home um, or wherever you might be and you're managing the live streams, uh, you know, there's 150,000 concurrent viewers watching McLaren launch that you've collaborated with McLaren to go and stream it on your channels and their channels and you're cross-promoting and doing all those kinds of things. Um, so I think there's lots of uh, there's lots of little beats. Um, but if I'm, if you're going to pin me against one thing that's ticked a lot of boxes, the, the Max Hungry thing is very cool. Yeah, absolutely. And it was definitely cool to watch. I mean, that just as a team, from a team point of view, and that shows also that it's a team sport and it's not just a driver sport too, but it certainly adds a lot of value. If you were to say that you had a couple of people who were very influential to you in terms of where you are potentially now and how you do your social stuff, is there someone or a couple of people that come to mind for you? Uh, yeah, I think I'm now I'm thinking about who I'm going to say and who's going to feel bad that I've left them out. <laughs> um, I think at each, uh, I've, I've had very, I've been surrounded by very good people um, at each sort of stage that, that I've had. I've been very lucky to work with some um very clever, very talented people. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you have to start these things by saying your mum and dad, and they are, because they're just, yeah, mum and dad super supportive of, um, you know, what I'm doing over here. Uh, they, you know, they could, normally they they could have said, oh, we prefer you didn't do that, but, you know, they they, they never like that. They say, you know, we know you're interested in Formula One and you've wanted to do that for, you know, a while. So go and do that. So, I mean, that, you, you can't go past mum and dad. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super, I think at it, Supercars, there's quite a few people. Um, and I think not coming from a strictly editorial background, coming from more of a marketing background, um, at Supercars, I worked with some quite clever journalists who really helped me I guess get my eye in, taper me a bit for um, for how to sense storylines and how to un- understand news a bit more. Um, even just basic, you know, some basic things of how to spot storylines and things like that. Um, so guys like Stefan Bartholomew, who um, worked Supercars for a while, wrote for SpeedCafe.com. Um, Mitchell Adam as well, who was at supercars for a while, but we did a five-year stint in Europe with Autosport, uh, working on MotoGP and I think he did DTM and a bit of F1, um, or, you know, small sport of stuff. Um, Cassie Gidiki before that, who was um, sort of the first, I guess, editorial journalist I worked with as well. So um, I think that that kind of group of people um, really helped me get my eye in for, mm. uh, for where the stories are. So they, you know, they're still good friends and I, I still talk to them. And then at, at Formula One, you know, I mean, in terms of influence, you know, the ability or the, uh, I guess, the way Frank spoke to me, um, you know, in those early conversations and then, you know, my current manager, Sam Tremaine as well, um, tremendous influences, uh, you know, really, you know, guiding and, and shaping the way I approach my work and what they, you know, what they want out of me and, you know, largely leaving me to do what I do, but um, helping me sort of trim the edges and providing that kind of counsel and guidance um, when it's needed. And then the agencies that we work with as well, there's some some brilliant people over there who uh, really help you uh, kind of keep your eyes open to 
how things are happening in other sports and other places as well. Because obviously, you know, the, the ferociousness of the calendar, it's easy to get, you know, very tunnel visioned on Formula One and um, forget to, to look at, you know, keep your eyes wide open and look at what's happening in, you know, other sporting sporting places as well. What's happening in, um, what's happening with Wimbledon, what's happening with Premier League, what's happening with um, NFL, NBA, like all of those kind of things. Um, they, you know, there's been some people there who really trained, I guess, trained me in a sense to, mm. to think wider um, and think more creatively as well. So, uh, yeah, I rattled off a couple there. I hope... Uh, I hope I haven't like disappointed someone out there now by missing. <laughs> you are feeling disappointed. He doesn't mean it. I'm sure that in the in the show notes below, your name is there. Just scroll down; it's probably there. Well, can you talk us through what a what a weekend looks like for you? So let's uh, let's pick Spa as the obvious example. Talk us through what that would look like in the in the week leading up and then post race stuff too. So Spa is a funny one because I'm actually I I take. I think this year I've got four races off and Spa is one of them. So, so to bed. <laughs> yeah, for let's pick uh, let's pick Silverstone that went by because that was quite a big weekend. We had sure. Sprint and we had all these other things. So obviously on um, the run into, we look at your, your Monday to, I don't know, Monday to following Tuesday window. Um, so the run into the week, there's uh, there's obviously... Lots of content that is, um, I would say, um, the content strands that are sort of preset and pre-organized, let's call it. Um, so it's checking in and making sure that um, are those content strands ready to go? They've been delivered. There's a whole video production team that we work with. Um, so you're really looking ahead at the scheduling of the week. Do we have our basic elements covered um, in that sense? Then topping that up, what are the... Um, what are the extra things, clips and other bits of content? What are the storylines we need to chase out of that? Are we prepared for those going into, into the race weekend? So um, if you're looking at uh, Silverstone as an example, uh, what have been the great battles from there over the years? Do we have those uh, ordered up on video? Have we scheduled them? Um, are we just doing it? How are we actually publishing and you know approaching that? Um, what's the actual content that we're trying, the story we're trying to tell here? Um, so there's that kind of base layer of pre-preparation. And then it's that wider thinking around what are the scenarios or eventualities that could happen over the race weekend that we need to be prepared for. So um, Lewis winning 100 races, that's been sitting on the table for a long time now. So um, there's, do we have all the content ready for that? Do we have our plans ready for that? Um, so I guess a lot of that run up to the race weekend pre-preparation. Uh, and then you sort of approach Thursday, which is the main, the sort of, fir- I think of it as the first day of the weekend, essentially the media day, um, you know, press conferences are going to happen. Do we have eyes on the press conferences? What are the storylines that are coming out of it? Do we need to react to those and create content out of them? Do we need to, um, do we need to counsel anybody on any messaging out of things that may have been said or done or, you know, connected to the press conference. Um, so what are we, what are we reflecting out of, um, what are we reflecting out of that? And then uh, on the ground itself, there's always content being captured on Thursdays as well. So do we have features being captured uh, on the ground? Weekend warm-up happens on a Thursday. Has that come down? Uh, there's lots of different um 
I guess, coordination pieces that, that happen on that Thursday. And then we're into the race weekend itself. So you're looking at um, uh, obviously each of the sessions, there's coverage live on Twitter. Um, there's videos that are requested out of each of those sessions. Uh, there's, yeah, again, it's similar stuff. What are the storylines we need to cover? How are we covering them, essentially? Um, are there any sensitivities we need to be aware of? Um, and then, you know, as you progress through the race weekend, you start thinking about what does the following week look like? Um, what are the storylines to unpick and unthread from the weekend that just happened? So uh, Hungary is an example. Uh, Ocon, first win, that's amazing. Um, one of the what are the threads we can pull out of that? Um, when was the last time French driver won in a French car? Okay, mm. let's go and make a question for that. Um, you know, the, the Alonso and Hamilton battle, okay, we need to get a quite well-produced edit done of that because that's a very evergreen thing that people talk about for a long time. So we need to do a good job of that because it's going to be searched and have quite a long tail on, on the views. Um, but then what more can we do with that? Hamilton Alonso, great rivalry, great battles over the years. Okay, top five Alonso Hamilton battles. Let's let's run that. Um, back to the point of extending the IF and giving people um, giving people the ability to see things that they may not have seen uh, in the television program as as it went to air. Extended battle just with onboard cameras of Alonso and Hamilton uh, battling away. That's something that people are going to want to see. So we need to extend that, publish that. F1 TV consideration there as well because really that that is an experience, a viewing experience you can have on F1 TV. So we need to make people aware that that's part of that as well. So you can kind of see there's all these little events that happen, and then you're really picking at them and going, how do we how do we tell it? How do we extrapolate it? Um, what's the next thing we need to we need to order? We need to do. Um, so yeah, it's just about constantly thinking how are you reflecting what is going on um yeah and how are you using all the resources you've got to do a good job of presenting that so. 2021 first half of the season very very good stuff of course uh heaps and heaps of drama which also is very good in terms of content to, to create and then share um and it's it's shaping up to be an incredibly good rest of the season so aside from having some races off for this year what are your thoughts for everything to date and then what's going to happen for the rest of the year? I just think it's amazing that there is a, uh, a really strong title battle. This is, uh, you know, this is what we want to see is two drivers in two grey cars going as hard as they can um, and the, the, the storylines that hang off that. Um, I don't think that, you know, proper sporting storylines just they're, they're unmatched you can't you, you can't manufacture that that type of stuff so uh it's just it's a there's a real there's a real buzz at the moment uh around everything that's happening with uh with this championship and that's not to take away from other seasons and um you know i guess talk talk ill at all of the success that mercedes have had because that's you know they're an amazing team and that's been earned in, in every right and have just done a genuinely amazing job of um, staying on top of uh, on top of this regulation set and doing a, a great job of providing a car for Lewis but it's uh, it, it's exciting to see uh, you know a full-on title title battle and I think from like you sort of alluded to the the content 
side of things. Um, people are just hungry for hungry for it. They want they want to uh, they want to soak up as much as they can, um, which is also it's a great thing for us. But we also are very uh, very aware, very cognizant of the fact that we need to uh, reflect things fairly uh, mm-hmm. and make sure that um, you know we're always. Uh, ref- holding a mirror up to the sport is a phrase that gets used a lot is reflecting what happens out on track. So um, presenting presenting the stories as honestly and truthfully um, as as we can. And that's why, you know, you, we just throw content out there for the sake of it. Um, you know, things of when you, by the time you see something, it's had a lot of thought put into it. Um, what's the phrasing that goes with it? Um, you know, how are we balanced on a particular day? And we check in with the teams as well from time to time um, to make sure that, you know, um, their understanding and what their approaches of the situation they find themselves in are, you know, uh, how are, how are they internally um, dealing with the fact that they're in a title battle? Um, you know, are they, um, yeah, are they, do they have any concerns? It's just a good check and balance um, in terms of, Keeping in, t- in contact with them uh, and making sure that um, you know everybody, everybody is being treated equitably and more so a, a self check on the job that we're doing mm. um, because you know it's important that we yeah pretty faithfully reflect what's going on. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I'm pumped. And the beauty of it is you just you don't, you don't know who will win. Yep. You just don't. And there's the complication of 2022 cars being developed this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so teams development runs are, you know, so different to, to years gone by when they're, they're looking so far ahead at this car. Um, so I guess the title battle in itself could almost have a knock-on effect into next year because, uh, you know, I'm sure all these teams say that they're 100% focused on 2022 car or whatever it might be, but they've got a chance in front of them to win the title, you know. That's got to be such a hard decision where do you allocate your resource to, uh, you know, to, to get the job, to get both jobs done, the 2021 job and the 2022 job. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. I can't wait. I kind of, I, I will never knock back, I will never knock back a holiday or a break. But uh, when, yeah, by the time Spa rolls around, I'll be ready to see uh, some cars go racing again. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting that you say because, of course, one of the teams who is involved, Red Bull, uh, did exactly that in 2013 with Seb through everything they had at getting that championship for him and they absolutely crushed it that year and then, you know, regulation changes and they found themselves not where they thought they would be. So as you say, it, there is so much jeopardy in terms of what you decide and now, of course, there's development tokens and, and budget caps and it's good. It's great. It's changed. It's exciting. It's it's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's genuinely um, it's refreshing to to get that. Uh, to get that come through, that storyline. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, look, you, you mentioned there in terms of other social media managers from other teams, and, of course, you don't only have the ability to reach um, in terms of the story of Formula 1 through people who are engaged through your channels, but you have the plethora of social channels for, I mean, I think Red Bull have about 10 different social channels that constantly reshare all of the stuff that comes out of their stuff in different parts of the world. You've got all the drivers, of course, as well. It must be an interesting vibe uh, and, you know, the politics aside of it in terms of who's going to win the championship. But from your point of view as running social media for the company or the business of Formula One and then all of these other, you know, 10 individual Formula One 
teams as well as the FIA and then the drivers and everything else going on. What's the community and the culture like in that space between you and the other use, I suppose, in those different spaces? Yeah, it's really good. We we have good relationships with um, with all of the teams, good lines of communication as well. So uh, as, as a very like basic example, there's WhatsApp groups with every team that have the relevant people on each side from a digital perspective. Um, I'm sure other parts of the business have their various workflows and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, very open, open and genuine uh, communication lines with them. They're, they're quite proactive in um, in terms of flagging things up that they think might be good ideas or things that they've got happening or opportunities that they've got. Um, also broadly, like very, um, very uh, cooperative when it comes to lending out driver time to make certain features and, and do certain things. So um, things that you see on ground, like the, uh, I'm not sure if you saw the Codemasters um, EA Sports ranking video where the drivers like ranking each other. So that was one that I worked on with uh, a couple of guys in the team here. And, you know, they're, they're well up for ideas like that. Um, so, yeah, they're really, they're, really, uh, they're really good, very, very proactive. Like we, it's not just the race weekends we hear from them. Like I get texts. I get texts from them daily. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's good. And I think they know within themselves that the whole the whole thing works better if we all work together, um, even, across, yeah. even across the team. So, you know, you see teams having banter with each other and things like that. And whether it's your cup of tea or not, I don't know. But um, they know within themselves that if they're providing entertainment um, for their fans and speaking to their audiences and in the way that they, um, you know, have have crafted and built, um, it's it's good for them. So uh, everyone at the end of the day is chasing engagements um, you know, for themselves and for and for the sport to make it make the whole thing as big as it can be. So uh, yeah, I think the teams do do a good job of um, yeah reflecting uh, re- reflecting the sport themselves as well. And they've got great access and. They use that. Um, they use that quite well as well. Things like McLaren's Unbox Series, mm. uh, Alpha Tauri um, do a, do a similar one as well. Mercedes do great jobs with their um, post weekend debriefs and things like that. So um, they're very um, yeah, very capable people at the teams. This might be an unfair question to ask, to be honest, because it might fall into the same line as who is inspiring to you. But do you think there's, maybe I won't ask, is there one team that's crushing it, but is there a piece of content that you didn't create that might be in, in amongst the team's sphere of influence that you really enjoyed as a fan working in Formula One? Uh, there's, yeah, there is. Um, I, like on the whole, I do enjoy quite a lot of the things that get produced out of the out of the teams. Um, I don't quite know. It's hard, again, I don't want to like single teams out. <laughs> yeah, or, or people sure out. It's really like I've got the full diplomatic hat on here trying not to pull it man. I think um I think it's uh the way in which I'm gonna like pick one though. I think the way in which Alpha Romeo have been able to unlock a bit more of Kimmy has been quite nice over the last um the last 12 months. Um yes and yeah I think that again it's like not to discredit anything that the other teams are doing so they'll do a phenomenal job. Uh, but I just think seeing <laughs> seeing uh seeing Kimmy in the later parts of his career have a bit of fun and um, you know, the alpha guys reflecting that, even just with simple stuff, has been um, has been quite nice. And I think for the most part, um, you know, 
it's uh, a lot of it's gen- it's genuine as well. You know, Kimmy's, mm. uh, you know, saying these things, doing these things, and he he is being who he is in, in a way. Yes. So yeah, um, yeah, and he's just a different character to everybody. But yeah, all the teams they've they've got great stuff that they all they all do. I, you know, McLaren Unbox is one that's good access. All the teams is all accesses. Yes. Um, yep. provide good good perspective into what they do. Um, there are a lot of them are jumping on board TikTok now and some of the creativity that's come out of you know the videos they're making on TikTok has been has been great, great to see. because uh, they it's just a medium and a platform that we never really um you know don't see we don't haven't seen teams produce videos like that in that much more, I guess like meme meme style. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. But I don't. I'm not going to single one out and say these guys are the best or these. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. So we don't want them to put you in the bin. <laughs> Fair enough. But we can all. I think we can all agree. Kimmy driving Giovinazzi around the Nordschleifer and him scaring the pants off Gio was a very good bit of content to watch. And also the very recent one that you put out in terms of naming the world champion when you realised that he didn't have to do the rest of it if he just buggered it up after naming himself a double world champion was also very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. And I guess we sort of talked about it a bit before, but that extending extending the audience part beyond the core, um, that that's the kind of content that we are really excited to to try and do more of and unlock uh, unlock a bit more of. So, you know, you don't need to be, you don't need to understand anything about cars racing on a track to enjoy that. Um, I think that there's a bit of a sheer knowledge, obviously, in the fact that you need to have some understanding of who the drivers are. But if you've come in from Netflix uh, or, or, you know, Instagram, wherever the, the light of touch um, channel might be, mm. uh, you know, you can look at that video and go, okay, I understand this. This is funny. It's drawing me one step closer to, you know, being more involved in, in the sport. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to doing more of that. And it's solidifying Daniel Ricciardo's Australianness of just like looking around the class for the answers. And then he's like, is this the answer? Yes, it is. I knew that. It's fine. Thanks for being Australian. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's, uh, Daniel's, yeah, he's, he's very funny. Yeah. He's just always smiling. That's, you know, everyone, everyone that's come from Netflix is like the smiling Australian. What's his name? Yeah, we all know who you're talking about. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. yeah. I think right. he's Daniel's. Yeah. Well, yes. Look, I, I, will, I won't say, I won't ask you about Daniel. We'll all just say 2022 is going to be a great year for him to learn yet again another car and he's going to absolutely crush it and be a world champion. Uh, well, that's what we keep saying on the, on the podcast anyway. Um, and that's it. You can put any other opinion in the bin. Um, F1, as I said, is the, obviously the epic part of a weekend. But of course, and maybe it's slightly different this year compared to, well, I mean, you started in COVID, but in previous years, you'd have F2 and F3 in a uh, in the same weekend. And of course, that's now spread out. So potentially the workload isn't quite so much. But there is amazing racing in, you know, people will say, oh, well, Formula One's quite boring because of, you know, X, whatever. Lewis is always winning. But if you watch F2, last year and especially this year and F3 and then W Series, you have this amazing motorsport at your fingertips to to sort of value out, I suppose, to the weekend. So from from your point of view, sort of two questions here. As a fan, do you get an opportunity to watch some of that racing? And then what kind of involvement do you have in helping promote, of course, that's those sports and then those names who will eventually come into the sport of Formula One? Yeah, so the first question, do I watch it? Uh, yes. 
but probably not in the same uh, not in the same way that I watch Formula One. But Formula Two, it's very and Formula Three, they're they're part of the family, I guess. In, in is the best yeah. way to describe it. Uh, keep an eye on the races, look at the race results. You know, you, watching as an Australian, watching Piastri last year, you know, through F3 and, and winning that title and, and how he's going this year in F2, like that's interesting personally for me. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. Um, it's a massively interesting championship to, to keep an eye on. Uh, the racing there as well um, is, is really, really good. Um, yeah, so we, we do get a chance to, to keep an eye on it. The, the, as far as like supporting it, promoting it and all that kind of thing, uh, we kind of have this mindset, uh, I guess, this mindset of road to F1, I guess you could call it. So those, I mean, it's quite logical. The guys that are in those categories now, three, four, five, however many years down the line, naturally that's where the draw of people to fill seats in F1 is going to come from over the years. So um, we actually treat the production of content for those channels very much with this, with similar workflows to how we uh, how we deal with Formula One um, content. So it's uh, they've got the F one treatment, but more in a in a light sense, I guess you could say. So yep. um, yeah, that's it's kind of there's synergies, I guess. To use a management speak word, there's there's synergies, there's synergies there between uh, the the way we work in F one and then uh, the output that lets us do on. F2 and F2 and F3. So um, again, it's a similar, there's a there's a bit of overlap as well between the social producers that we have for Formula One channels and then Formula Two and Formula Three is a bit of overlap there. So um, lots of shared knowledge, expertise uh, across all three of the um across all three of the series. So um yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's there's, a, there's, a, there's a, it's another kind of piece to to add to the the thought process as well. Um, Absolutely. And as an Australian fan, as you said, Oscar Piastri in F2 and then this year F3, Jack Doohan is doing a great job as well. So we've got Aussie stock coming through, which is very exciting for us. That is that is for sure. All right, mate. Well, look, you've been very generous with your time and thank you. So let me finish off with this question. If you were sitting on this side, apart from driving to Newcastle, although you drive, you know, I'm in Sydney, so you probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. But apart from traveling to Newcastle, what would be the question that you would ask yourself? Uh, ask myself. Uh, hmm. I would say probably in a, in a work sense, I would say what's if you're talking, if I talk to myself the other side, what's the thing you need to be doing in 12, 18, 24 months' time and start doing it now or <laughs> work, work towards it? So, uh, you know, I would say, yeah, what, what, should you be, what should you be doing in 12 months' time? Yeah, start working on it. So if that is, uh, we need to be, we need to have really, let's, let's pick an example, which is important. We need to have local presence uh, or local content output in other languages such as Portuguese or Brazil. Like in 12 months' time, that's we should have that running and that's the thing we should be doing. Start doing it now. <laughs> and then in 12 months' time, you will be doing it. So, uh, yeah, I think it's that. Just the something that forces you to stick your head above the, the water 
um, and break the cycle a little bit of race to race to race mm. um, make you think a bit a bit further forward um, because ultimately at the end of the day we don't look forward and think about where what direction we want it to evolve to we will just keep doing the same things we're doing now which are great but um, we need to you know bigger faster stronger whatever the uh, Olympic <laughs> motto was um, you know make it you know need to uh need to grow according to what the business needs obviously so. yeah sure yeah uh well look sam thank you thank you for your time thank you for for doing what you're doing i mean such an interesting understanding of what the business of formula one is of course and obviously in the digital sense you're doing great stuff uh and it's nice to know that every now and then something that we're watching has had an australian touch to it as well it makes a big difference down here i can tell you good good cool yeah it's been awesome to chat i've had fun so should do it again sometime Well, a massive thank you to Sam Barker and Formula One, of course, for that chat. Really awesome to see what it's like on the other side of the curtain working for the business of Formula One. And after all, Sam seems to be a mega fan just doing his best work and living his best life in the best sport in the world, let's be honest. If you enjoyed that chat, please consider subscribing to the podcast and we'll try and line up another Australian in the Formula One paddock. You can find us on Discord as well. We've got an incredibly active Discord server and you can find the links to that below. But for now, it's time to say goodbye and we'll see you on the next episode.